and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Let's pray for God's blessing. Father, we are grateful to be here. It is by the power of your Spirit that we have hearts to know you and to love you. It is by your Spirit working within us that the Scriptures are so very meaningful every day of our lives. And so we ask that you would give us hearts to receive your Word, to believe that Word, to love it, and to walk in it, Father. Make us more like our Lord and our Savior as we hear and as as we do. In his blessed name we pray. Amen. A professor at a Christian college uh, recounts an experience he had with one of his students. He says, while I was teaching at a Christian college, a talented young man pushed his way into my life He needed one more course to graduate, so he decided that I should give him an independent study in writing. He would be everlastingly grateful if I would just do this, even though it required extra work on my part. The college dean agreed to the idea because of the young man's abilities. And then this professor said, what a headache. He skipped appointments, missed deadlines, and rejected my evaluations of his writing. He even turned in the last assignment just hours before graduation. After all that was done for him, you'd think he would have been grateful. But he didn't express one word of thanks on graduation day, nor in all the years Oh, problem of the human heart, the sin dwelling within human hearts. And God gives us so much 
every single day. And oftentimes we have so many blessings and we're so used to them that we think not for a moment about giving thanks. Praise and thanksgiving to the Lord flow from the lips of the redeemed. A saved soul is a worshiping, grateful soul. Now notice the context here. Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee is in the north where the great sea of Galilee is, that beautiful uh, lake. And he's going south, goes through Samaria toward Jerusalem, and ten men come up to him. Point number one, by nature all men are needy and ungrateful. Men, women, boys, and girls are blind to their need. And thus, one of the fruits of sin is an ungrateful heart. Now notice this in verses 12 and 13. Uh, as they entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. And as they were uh, had to do, the sad life that they lived, separate from family and friends, crying out, unclean, unclean. From a distance they see Jesus and they cry out to him. There's ten of them, interesting group. They lifted their voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were on their way down the road, they didn't hesitate. They were Jews, all of them except one. They knew what the law prescribed, and so they made their way. And in the process of walking away, they were cleansed. Interesting group of men, nine Jews, one Samaritan. What was he doing with these Jewish guys? Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Uh, and here they are, together as a chorus, crying out to Jesus. They were unified in their suffering. And their separation from family and friends in their sorrow. And now in their moment of hope, they see Jesus. And together, they cry out. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So what is their goal? Their goal is physical healing. They want to join society again. They want to be normal. They want to be whole. They want... Physical healing. It's all outward. It's all physical. It's interesting. As you think about where we live in America, people are constantly shopping for health and uh, attempting to become wealthy. They want peace of mind. They want security. And these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. But people today put in their shopping carts as they try to fill the void in their hearts, uh, uh, Eastern philosophy and 
uh, much time in therapy and maybe a little bit of Jesus I'll put in my life as well. Uh, and then uh, we need health foods and yoga and cosmetic surgery. Uh, and maybe a, I'm a believer in government because government will give me handouts, etc., etc. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And they said, okay, let's give it a try. What have we got to lose? And they make their way. It's interesting when we think of what Jesus is saying here. It's not out of the ordinary. Uh, there are chapters, literally lengthy chapters in Leviticus on leprosy and the curing of it and when one was declared clean and allowed to come back uh, with one's family and friends. Uh, just a couple of verses out of Leviticus chapter uh, 14. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. Uh, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's what these men lived with. It was awful. Can you imagine that being your experience? On the eighth day, they come to the priests. Eight days have gone by now. The priests examine them, and then they wait, and then they come back to the priests. This is the process. He shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil, and the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed, uh, and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he goes through this whole ritual, this ceremonial law, and he comes to this place later on in chapter 14. The priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness, and afterward he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But the ceremony of the law is pointing to something here and teaching this man something. Yes, you are outwardly clean by this process. But what this sacrifice means and what it points to is the one who would come, the Lamb of God, dying on that cross, and you would be more than clean in your body, the skin of your body. You would be clean before Almighty God himself. You see, the, the law is a tutor to point men to Jesus Christ and to show them that they have a much greater need than simply getting rid of leprosy or any other malady. Sin is far worse than leprosy. A man could be restored in body 
and fellowship, but not in soul. And that's what we see in our text in Luke. Nine were, or ten were restored in body, but only one was transformed into a lover of Jesus Christ, a disciple of the Lord. The law can simply point out our sin and condemn us for that sin. And it also points us to the remedy, which is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, The Israelites, when they were making their way through the wilderness, were grumbling and they were complaining, and God sent fiery serpents, and they were biting the people, and the people were dying. And God instructed Moses to put a copy of those serpent, one of the serpents on a pole, <clears throat> and if you looked, you would live. But once again, it was an outward physical experience, until we come to the New Testament, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, when the Son of Man is raised up, and you look to me, and you believe in me, you will live. You will live forever. And so as they're going, they're cleansed. But nine out of the ten are too busy, too proud, too whatever to stop and turn around and go back to the Lord Jesus. Only one does. You see, they got what they wanted. They didn't come to Jesus because they were sinners. They wanted physical healing, and they were healed. They were cleansed. They wanted social cleansing so they could join everybody again, and they wouldn't have to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. They got what they wanted. There are so many people today who think they get what they want in Jesus, and then they go on and live the rest of their life apart from him. Maybe you've known someone like that. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Now leave me alone. I'm going to leave I'm going to live the life that I choose to live. They're too proud to give thanks. They're too blind to see their greater need, the healing of their souls. Man's basic presupposition before he comes to Jesus Christ is, if there is a God, he owes me. You ever heard people say that? Something bad happens and they're all over God. You shouldn't have let that happen to me or my child or in my life or whatever. They blame God. They think God owes them a good life, a happy life. It's interesting. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says that it is the goodness of God, or the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It isn't the power of God and the wrath of God and the threatenings of God, although those are there as well in Scripture. But it's God's kindness and goodness. It's His generosity. It's His love that leads us to want to know the Lord Jesus and to love him. 
John Calvin once wrote, Above all, it is too common a disease that when we are urged by strong necessity, and when the Lord himself prompts us by a secret movement of the Spirit, we seek God, praise God. But when we have obtained our wishes, ungrateful forgetfulness swallows up that feeling of piety. Thus, poverty and hunger beget faith, but abundance kills it. (laughs) That is so true. And I've seen it in my own life. Uh, A day later, two days later, I wake up and I go, what? God has just blessed us, and I am so self-focused that I, I didn't just stop and praise God and give thanks for his generosity. Is this true of your life? Is this something that you and I together really need to cultivate? A a humble, thankful, grateful heart. Years ago, someone came to Harvest, uh, where I was the pastor, and we met, and, and he started coming back, and He joined and he became a deacon. And I remember one Sunday morning, he was there serving. You know, no one told him to serve. He just, that's what he did. And he's doing it to this day. I said, Brian, how are you doing? And he goes, I'm grateful. You know, there's so many different ways we can respond. And uh, that really stuck with me. Because you don't hear that normally. Especially in a non-believing World, I'm grateful. But that's the mark of the heart of the rejoicing, grateful believer in the Lord Jesus. May the Lord not give us too much abundance (laughs) that we might remain humble, trusting, and thankful. Second point this morning. Humble thanksgiving is a mark of salvation. You might say, well, where do you get that? Well, let's, we'll look at this text, and I, I think you'll, you'll see it there. And uh, the first sub-point under this would be smitten with gratefulness. Just overcome with a grateful heart, bringing forth tears of joy, of thankfulness, to God. How important that is. Now, how does this take place? What needs to take place in one's life to come to this and to see this? Well, first of all, I need to look at my life and acknowledge that I certainly have not lived a perfect one. Uh, I have a a broken relationship with God. I'm not... uh, in fellowship with God, I think he might be a little angry with me. Uh, and there are relationships out there in the horizontal that aren't very good either. Uh, I'm in trouble. Secondly, we see in ourselves that we are needy, that we tend to be self-focused. Yes, we're sinners. We're sinners. We look at God, and the Bible shows us that he is holy and righteous and good. And we can't meet up to his standards. We fall far short 
of his standards. The law of God speaks to us about the holiness of God and the demands of God and therefore the wrath of God, the anger of God, ultimately uh, punishment in hell. That's a bad place to be in. It's an awful place. And so many people are there and they're blind to it. They have no concept of who they are outside of Jesus Christ. John Bunyan put it this way. The old Puritans would write on these subjects, and boy, I'll tell you, they wrote with a a sharpened pen. He said, Consider, would it not wound you to your heart to come upon your deathbed? And instead of having the comfort of a well-spent life, and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, together with the comforts of his glorious spirit, to have first the sight of an ill-spent life. Your sins flying in your face, your conscience uttering itself with thunderclaps against you, the thoughts of God terrifying you, death with his merciless paw seizing upon you, the devil standing ready to scramble for your soul and hell enlarging herself and ready to swallow you up in an eternity of misery and torment attending upon you from which there will be no release. And we need to see that. You see, that understanding precedes a broken heart, a humble heart, a grateful heart. What God owes me is awful. What God gives me, his grace in Jesus Christ, is so wonderful that I will spend eternity worshiping him and giving thanks to him. That's why we're here. That's why this is the highlight of our week every week, is to worship and to give thanks to our Lord and our Savior. God does not owe us heaven. He owes no one heaven. But he does owe everyone who has earned by their own sinful disobedience hell. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, once wrote, We make more noise of a little trouble than we do of a thousand benefits that remain with us. And you know what flashes through my head when I read that? Driving down the freeway. And all of a sudden, the freeway is this huge parking lot. Uh, And I'm not always praising God. I mumble a little bit. I talk to the guy in front of me, you know, and things like that. It's a big deal. I've just forgotten all of the thousand benefits that I have because of what the Lord Jesus has done for me. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? J.C. Ryle uh, wrote a series of commentaries on the four Gospels. I bet your pastor owns that set. They're gold. They're excellent. And he writes about the unprofitable servant. That was the opening of our reading this morning. He says, once pardoned and forgiven, 
We must travel the daily journey of life under a deep conviction that we are unprofitable servants. At our best, we only do our duty and have nothing to boast of. And even when we do our duty, it is not by our own power and might that we do it, but by the strength which is given to us from God. Claim upon God we have none. Right to expect anything from God we have none. Worthiness to deserve anything from God we have none. All that we have we have received. All that we are we owe to God's sovereign distinguishing grace. Amazing grace. How great the sound of that is to the redeemed heart. There was a man by the name of Naaman. He was the Syrian uh, general. He was a big man in Syria. The king honored him. But his flaw was he was a leper. And that marked his life. No matter how many good things he did, that literally set him apart and marked his life. It was the bane of his life. A little servant girl that lived in his home said to his Wife, I wish my master would go to the prophet in Israel. He would heal him. And so he made his way there uh, with all kinds of uh, servants around him. Uh, he was a powerful man, and he goes all the way to Elisha's home. Elisha doesn't even go out. He sends a servant out, and the servant says, Elisha says, wash seven times in the Jordan, and you shall be clean. And he was all angry. He thought the rivers in Syria are far greater than the rivers in Israel, far greater than the Jordan River. I thought he'd come out and wave his arms over me and do all these fantastic things and heal me. He starts making his way away uh, from that place, and his servant said, Oh, master, if he just said something very simple and straightforward and gave you the answer, why will you not accept it? There's great pride in this guy. And so he says, Okay. And he dips himself seven times in the Jordan and he comes up and his flesh is whole. And something happens with this man. It's not just that his skin is whole and clean. He immediately turns around and goes back to Elisha, and he has all these gifts and things he wants to give to Elisha, and Elisha says, this is not the day for receiving gifts. He says, uh, uh, may I take two loads of earth with me uh, to where I am going, and when I worship, I will worship upon these only the God of Israel, because he alone is the true God. Amazing if you picture this. He's so grateful. His life was changed, not just outwardly, but inwardly. And it was revealed by his open thankfulness. What a joy it is to be in a home, in a household where... Uh, Everybody loves the Lord and is giving thanks and is grateful. The joy, so much joy there. And, and 
we all live in different settings and situations, and that may not be the case. But that's what we hope for, and that's what we pray for, that all of our loved ones would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a woman who was known as a sinful woman. That's the only way she's described. She hears that Jesus is having lunch with a Pharisee, and she goes there, and it's out in a courtyard setting, and she is weeping and and crying. Her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus, and she takes out this very expensive ointment and anoints his feet. Why? Because she knew she was a sinner. And she knew and come to know the grace and the forgiveness of all of her sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And she loved him with her whole heart. And brothers and sisters, we need to know that about ourselves. That we are desperate without Jesus Christ without his love, without his mercy, without his shed blood to forgive all of our sins. The final thought for you as you take this with you this morning is this statement, your gratefulness has made you well. Now, in the text in verse 17, Jesus says your faith has made you well. But you see, genuine faith is revealed by a grateful heart, a worshiping heart, a heart that comes back to Jesus as we read here in our text, 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. It's amazing. Nine Jews, one Samaritan. If anyone should be grateful, it's the covenant people of God. They had been blessed in every way. And I won't take the time now to enumerate all of their blessings. In the beginning of uh, uh, chapter 9 of Romans, Paul goes through a whole list of them there. Only one came back, this foreigner. It's a picture here, and it's a marvelous picture. You see little glimpses of this light and this blessing throughout the Gospels and the life of Jesus. You see, the floodgates of God's love begin to open and flow out upon Samaritans and Gentiles, you see. And I would guess that most of us here today are Gentiles. Praise God for that grace, that covenant of grace that Jesus opens to all human beings. How grateful ought we to be. Your faith has made you well, has saved you. Faith doesn't save. Faith takes hold of the one who saves. Jesus is the source of righteousness, of forgiveness, of eternal life, and God's Spirit gives us the faith and the repentance to turn from our sins and to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Him, even this day. If you are not a believer in Christ, 
Why not? Why would you not receive the one who has come to die for ungodly sinners and to open the gates of heaven themselves for you? And so believe as this man has believed. Jesus, who is the high priest, the guy never made it to the priests over there. He made it back to the high priest, the eternal high priest, the Lord Jesus himself. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Some thoughts of application. I hope when you read in your Bible during the week, you don't only or simply read it, but you pause over it. And maybe you'll underline things and and you'll talk to the Lord about it and you'll really ponder the implications for your life. We must cultivate a grateful heart and it doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally. Uh, It's sad. We we are not by, by nature in our flesh grateful people. But first of all, Remember, the Lord owes me nothing. Where does the Bible say that God owes us all the things that we desire? Everything is of grace. Everything is of his unmerited favor to you and to me. He loves me because he loves me. It's his sovereign choice. He doesn't owe that. Secondly, I have everything in Christ if we could come to that and keep going back to him, asking him to fill us with his love and his goodness and his grace and his peace and his power. If he's forgiven all of our sins, how will he not also freely give us all things? Our God, our Father is not stingy. And we need to remember that. We need to cultivate the promise that all things come from the Lord. Every good, every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights where there's no shifting shadow or turning. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His gifts are perfect, and they all come from Him. And then cultivate the gift or the grace of giving. Let that be the response of your faith in Jesus, not only to praise him, but to be a generous person in serving those around you. Zacchaeus was transformed by the Lord Jesus, and he immediately said, "Uh, if I've defrauded somebody, I'm going to give them so much more back. I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. I'm going to do all of these things. It It was a picture of what took place in his heart, you see, that generosity. Paul was generous. You know what he gave? He preached the gospel without cost. He would labor as a tent maker, and then he would preach the gospel. That's what he was called to do. Lydia was converted, and she said, come into my house, hospitality. I'll feed you a place to stay, a place a fellowship. The woman at the well, remember her in John 4? 
Let me tell you about the man who told me everything about my life. Let me tell you. She went out and she told others. She gave, you see. And then there's that woman at Christ's feet, weeping, not because she was sad, weeping because she was so utterly grateful at the one who cleansed her from all of her sin. Let's celebrate Thanksgiving every day of the year. It's not not just once a year. That's that's wonderful. But (laughs) a lot of other days. For this is our high calling. As we are admonished by Paul and Thessalonians, we are to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Praise the living God. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for what Jesus has done. We're grateful for the ministry of His Spirit within our hearts and within our lives, His transforming power. We look back over the years and we see Your faithfulness, we see your forgiveness, we know your love, and here we are this morning. We praise you and we thank you. Continue to do your marvelous work within our hearts and our lives. May this text of Scripture live with us this week. May we ponder it and consider how we might be generous, not only in giving praise and thanksgiving, but in helping those in need around us especially in the giving out of the gospel. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.